0: and we're going to be looking at Hebrews 13 while you're turning there. Uh, it's, I'm guessing that many of you were familiar with the verses of that hymn we just sang, but that tune might be uh, new to you. That, that hymn was originally composed for children, right? Um, for for little kids, and, and so uh, it may create the impression that, oh, well, you know, Little children need a shepherd to lead them, but uh, I actually asked Taylor, hey, can you write a new arrangement for that that could be a prayer for all of us, not just kids, but like all of the, the saints, adults, uh, and, and, uh, and young ones too. Uh, so I'm thankful that we all can now sing that and not feel like, oh, isn't that a sweet children's hymn? And, uh, and be reminded as we look at this text this morning, uh, we all need a shepherd. Uh, We all need a a good shepherd, right? Uh, And and as we get to the end of Hebrews, we've got just one more week. Next week is our our last uh, sermon in the series. We began this series by calling it, uh, you know, Jesus is greater. That uh, accolade, that that description, Jesus is greater, actually comes from the verses we're about to read where uh, Jesus is described as the great shepherd. So we had to get all the way to the end of the series to Look at, why did, what are we calling this? Jesus is greater. Anyway, let's stand if you're able. And I'm going to read verses uh, 17 to 21. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Uh, pray for us. For we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Indeed, Jesus, we want you, pray that you would receive glory forever and ever, uh, even through us. And as your sheep, uh, we, we bow before you. We, we seek to follow you because you are a great shepherd. In your name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So Hebrews ends with this really beautiful uh, benediction uh, that perhaps you've heard before. You know, we use it from time to time uh, here at Tabernacle. Uh, and in this benediction, we, we, we hear about our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. And I love how uh, the author of Hebrews, who we actually don't know who, who this person is, uh, but we know that the audience, the recipients of this letter know him, uh, because they're looking forward to being, you know, sort of reunited, and, and and the author wants to be restored to them sooner, and and so we get that personal note here at the end of the letter. But uh, but whoever this person is, um, they're like, they're, they're they're doubling down on on how, what a good shepherd Jesus is. He's so good. He's the great shepherd, right? So we're just gonna put any debate to rest. He's the great shepherd, and of course. Uh, That superlative is is sort of a a play on on Jesus' own uh, definition of himself in John 10 as the good shepherd, Uh, and he says that a couple of times. He says, I'm the good shepherd, I'm the good shepherd, and uh, we're going to look at that uh, as well, Jesus describing himself as the good shepherd, and we're going to wrap up uh, by another way that he's referred to, uh, this time Peter in his first epistle describes Jesus, uh, not as the great shepherd or the good shepherd, but as the chief shepherd. And so I just thought it'd be kind of helpful and and, uh, a benefit to all of us to look at those three ways that Jesus is our shepherd, a great shepherd, a good shepherd, and a chief shepherd. So so yeah, let's let's look at Jesus as the great shepherd, uh, not only because of like the quality of his shepherding, it's great how he shepherds us, but also comparatively, uh, he's great. In, in comparison to all of the other shepherds, the under shepherds that he recruits uh, to be leaders of the flock. Uh, you know, We need to remember that he's the head of the church, not, not any one of us. Uh, and so in that comparative sense, he's the great shepherd, right? Like he's, he's the greatest shepherd. He's the greatest of all time. Do you know where I'm heading with this? He's the goat, right? <laughs> The shepherd is the goat. Uh, he's the lamb of God. I don't, you know, maybe we shouldn't keep going down that road. Something about our parable of sheep and goats. All right. He's the greatest shepherd of all time. He's the greatest shepherd. He's the great shepherd in comparison to all the other shepherds out there, which is why, you know, you get this other mention of under shepherds, the leaders that verse 17 is, is telling us, uh, hey, obey those shepherds, those under shepherds, and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, like shepherds keeping watch over their flocks. Right? They're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Uh, let them do this with joy and not with groaning. <laughs> and just like, for that would be of no advantage to you, right? Like, don't you don't want grumpy shepherds? Don't do that. Yeah. Um, you don't want grumpy shepherds because that's not an accurate picture of our, of our great shepherd. He's not a grumpy shepherd. Jesus is, a, is an incredibly joyful shepherd. And isn't that good news for us to, to consider that when, um, when we spend eternity in his presence, we're not going to be spending eternity with somebody who's kind of grumpy or irritable, or short-tempered, or just, you know, we're never really sure, hey, what kind of mood is Jesus in today? we got to, like, kind of feel it out. Those are, you know, some of you grew up in homes like that. Like, how are mom and dad doing? And i got to kind of adjust, right? We're not going to spend eternity anxious about that. We, we can spend eternity confidently knowing that our chief shepherd is a joyful shepherd. His under-shepherds ought to be joyful, too. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. So who doesn't want a happy shepherd watching over them? Grumpy shepherds, groaning shepherds, <laughs> are of no advantage to you. Uh, look, sometimes, and this is something we all need to hear. Like, like, don't act in ways that are gonna make the shepherds uh, grumpy. Uh, don't do things that are gonna make them groan. Uh, some of you saw this viral video. I'm taking a little bit of a risk. You know, you we can you can live by media, you can die by media, but. Has anybody ever seen the, this this little thing where, all right, here's the sheep stuck in the ditch. Look at this young boy. What a great little shepherd he, he's been. And, oh, good, what a good shepherd. Okay. And boom, okay. Can you hear that young shepherd boy groaning? Like that's not gonna be good. Uh, uh, that's me. I'm the sheep, not the shepherd. All right, so the shepherds, um, we, want, like we want sheep that are eager to receive the, the leadership that, that the shepherds provide. Um, but it works the other way too. So, you know, this isn't necessarily a sermon about how all the sheep ought to, you know, live in such a way that, that the shepherds can just be all happy and, hey, what a great job we've got. No, the, the sheep want leaders that are good shepherds, uh, that are trustworthy, right? Like, we we are sort of in a, a difficult period culturally, chronologically, because um, there's a leadership crisis today, which sort of makes hearing things in church, like, hey, everyone, obey your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you. Like, that makes it hard to hear because we just are getting this Incessant barrage in our news feed of leadership failures. Of places where people have been given authority, they have a flock, so to speak. People who they're responsible for, they're supposed to be directing and, and blessing. And, and instead, uh, they're, they're, they're being toxic. Uh, and this happens in all kinds of places. The workplace and you know, churches and politics and the military, like the army um, things were, 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 came to a head, and uh, they, they actually revised uh, the Army's uh, Code of Doctrine. Uh, and so this was revised in 2012, and they added this paragraph that reads, Toxic leadership <coughs> is a combination of self-centered attitudes, motivations, and behaviors that have adverse effects on subordinates, the organization, and mission performance. Toxic leaders consistently use dysfunctional behaviors to deceive, intimidate, coerce, or unfairly punish others to get what they want uh, for themselves, right? So, so leadership today, just if you were to sort of make a, a generalized observation, it just seems to have a whole lot more emphasis on imposing the leader's will or are uh, or, or winning uh, at any cost, you know, obtaining the goal no matter what, you know, means uh, are employed. And it just leads to this this erosion of trust in, in the character and the integrity of our leaders across the board. Certainly, you know, whether that's in the workplace, as I said, or politics, whatever, but but in the church too, right? Like, how many people in power have been called out because of corruption and abuses in leadership? And so we we now come to Hebrews thirteen, and we're being told, "Obey your leaders and submit to them." And we're all going, "I don't know," right? Like, leadership doesn't seem to be very healthy in in general, um, and so we need to be careful in the church, especially. Uh, that the leaders that you all elect um, that that's a thorough process, and that the emphasis isn't on their talent isn't on their effectiveness, but it 's actually on their character uh, and and that 's really got to be front and center so it 's no wonder that that in light of like the perception of people in leadership where everybody's naturally sort of suspicious of them, kind of wondering hey what 's their end game and how are they you know working this like it's no wonder that um, when, when then, people are asked to consider a, a leadership position or to step into a leadership role, but like people go, I don't know. Like that seems to be a group of people I don't necessarily want to be associated with, uh, just because of all the questions and, and all of the abuses of, of, uh, of power and authority that have sadly been been all too common. Um, but I just want to. Let us see, let's just look and, and take Hebrews 13 at face value. I want to acknowledge, you know, hey, this is hard, but I also don't want us to miss what God is saying very clearly that healthy leadership, good, godly leadership, is a blessing. The Bible's affirming that, that leadership is good, and, and ha- not having leaders is bad, and, and furthermore, good leaders are good. And, There's other places that we could turn, but we're not going to make that the focus. But bad leaders are bad. Not you can't just have any leader. We want to have leaders who are uh, accountable and mindful that I'm going to have to give an account to the chief, good, great shepherd on that day. I need to lead in such a way that I know that you know I am a sheep too. Uh, and, And in addition to you stepping into and trying to faithfully execute. Uh, whatever leadership role I have. So the world needs good leaders. The church needs good leaders. We need, we need godly people uh, in our lives who are going to watch over our souls like good shepherds watch over their flocks. And we need those people who are going to do so, as I said, who are mindful, that they're going to give an account for that leadership. Uh, this is why earlier in chapter 13, we, we sort of looked at this verse last week, but we didn't focus on it because I knew this was coming. But uh, if you have your Bibles up, you can see in verse seven, it says, to remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. God wants us to have good leaders in our, in our, in our lives, especially in the church. It is not his design that we go rogue uh, that we kind of do our own thing, that we live independently of any kind of authority. That, I know that's popular in our culture. It's not in the church. It's not how the kingdom works. God gives us good, good shepherds for our blessing. Um, look down at verse 20 and 21. It uh, talks about sort of why uh, why we would be given these leaders. Uh, and this is part of, again, that benediction, how the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, uh, may he equip you with everything good that you may do his will. And now we get to sort of, well, why? Why, why? Why do we have these good shepherds? And that has something to do with doing God's will, being equipped in order to faithfully live as Jesus's disciples. And good leadership has something to do with that. The great Shepherd has commissioned an army of under shepherds to equip his sheep with everything that they need for life and godliness and and to do his will in his kingdom. And it's important that we see the goal of the good things that the sheep are equipped with, uh, and that is to do God's will. Uh, Paul says something about this in Ephesians 4. Uh, he says that God gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. It's sort of the same, same uh, language in verse 21 here in Hebrews 13. Uh, so that the saints are equipped for the work of ministry for building up uh, the body of Christ. And now we're starting to see like the, the, the heart behind God raising up leaders for the church. Not to do the ministry but to equip the ministers, to to equip the saints to do ministry. Like, I'm not here to just do all the ministry. The elders aren't here to do all the ministry. Deacons aren't here to do all the ministry. Uh, God raised up those leaders to equip all of the saints to do the ministry. And that's why on the back of your bullets, and I don't know if you've ever kind of read this, but there's a list of folks, you know, if you need to contact, you know, there's the ministry staff, and just so you know who the elders and the deacons are, they're listed there too. And then it says ministers, and it says every member. That's, that's all of us, right? Not, not just the folks who have been hired or elected or whatever, but all who have been called by God to be his sheep have also been called by God to be his ministers. And this is really what the, the, the formal leadership of the church is there to do, to equip the rest of the, the sheep to be ministers. Um, some of you have heard of, uh, a, he was a missionary named Leslie Nubigen and spent a lot of time in India. And he um, wrote a ton of, of wonderful stuff. Um, and, and he gave a bunch of messages to church leaders in India, uh, national pastors and missionaries alike, Those messages were recorded and collated and published in a book called The Good Shepherd. And I just want to read you a paragraph from one of those messages that he shared with those church leaders in India. He said, all truly pastoral ministry in the church has as an essential part of its content, this is essential, right? the training of others to be ministers of Christ in the world. We're not ordained in order that we may be ministers and the rest not. We are ordained in order that all may be trained for ministry. And then this is the really key sentence. He says, the test of our ministry will be the extent to which our people become ministers. That was how they were gauging success. The test of our ministry will be the extent to which our people become ministers. And I think that applies to Tabernacle. The the test of Tabernacle's ministry will be the extent to which our people, you all, become ministers together. And all of you, I mean, I can already say, are doing such a beautiful and and wonderful job. This is an incredibly active congregation. So in that sense, I want to affirm, this is God's design. But I do want to speak to maybe some of you who kind of don't know, where do I fit yet? Like, you don't really know where you're serving, where you're ministering. Um, That's a great question to get an answer to. Don't leave that hanging. That's not God's design. God wants all of his people, all of his sheep uh, to, to be ministers. Uh, This brings us to to kind of that next heading, like, like moving away from Jesus as the great shepherd to his own description where he said in John 10, I'm the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. So, What what Jesus is describing here is this relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. That a sheep, according to Jesus, really has no life without the shepherd, without the shepherd's guidance and and protection and and provision. Um, Without those things, the fate of the sheep is, is death, right? Like that sheep needs care, it needs protection, it needs provision. Uh, you, you don't see wild sheep, right? We, we have things like um, wild turkeys and we have things like wild horses and we have things like wild boars, but all right, apart from like bighorn mountain sheep, you don't have wild little fluffy sheep wandering around um, you know, with all of their tatted up and piercings and their ripped jeans and their mullet, you know, I'm wild, <laughs> kind of independent, kind of doing my own No, sheep die that way. Uh, And and what Jesus is talking about is how their life depends on their union with the life of the shepherd. That a sheep is 100% dependent on that shepherd's presence and involvement in the sheep's life. Uh, J.I. Packer wrote an essay called The Glory of Christ's Present Reign, and, and he was reflecting on Jesus as our shepherd. He said the basic apostolic message is that salvation is in Christ, through Christ, with Christ, and for Christ. He's the Savior and the Lord who at his Father's will came to earth as the one and only God-man in order to save us. And we sinners find salvation through letting our ongoing life story become part of his ongoing life story. I, and I like how he phrased that because it makes us think differently about, all right, what does it look like for me to be a disciple? What, what, is, what does faith in Christ look like? And we could use lots of ways to describe this, but Packer's saying... Faith in Christ is funda- fundamentally me making a decision that, you know what, my, my story really doesn't have meaning apart from his story. That my, my life is going to, is, is just, this is going to be a death apart from the life that Jesus offers. Like, like uniting my story with his story means that Jesus' life becomes my life. Jesus' death becomes my death. Jesus' resurrection becomes my resurrection. Jesus' new life becomes my new life. And any any of my life that's not joined to his life is death. So what does that that mean? I mean, that sounds very spiritual, I guess. All right, so my life has to be united to his life. And what did he do in his life? He, He kept the law. He loved people like people could find no fault in him. I need that record. Because I mess up, I, and, and you and I, we fail all the time, but Jesus never failed, and, and I need that reputation in heaven. I, I need his life to be my life, and I need his death to be my death. He died as an atoning sacrifice. I need a, I need a substitute sin bearer. I, I need his death to become my death. He got what I deserved, and, and then I get what he deserved, which is the, you know, approval and position, and, and inheritance of heaven. And then his resurrection becomes my resurrection. Like, like what, the, what does the resurrection prove? It proves that, well, the penalty is paid, the, the sin is forgiven, it no longer has any claim over him, and he's free, right? And, and death has no longer any mastery over him. And, and so that needs to be my resurrection too. And then the new life, his new creation, I need that life. I, I don't want the old life. The old essence is gone. The new has come. And so that's what union with with Jesus really points to. Like, we live in union with him. And that's what trusting him, believing in him looks like. If you're new to the church, if you're new to the Bible and new to Jesus, what do these Christians believe? I thought it was all about just obeying and keeping the rules. Well, that's how we show that we love him. That's how we show that we're his disciples. But that doesn't make us his disciples. We become Christians by believing in him, by uniting my life with his life. And you can unite your life with his life too. Anybody can. You turn from your old life, that was leading to death. Life with Jesus is how I have eternal life. And then he does something really beautiful, like like this whole point, like how you and I have life. We, we, We are sheep who get life from our good shepherd by being united to our good shepherd when he takes on that title, when he says, I'm the good shepherd, you know what he's doing? It's something incredibly tender, incredibly humble. By taking on that title, he says, you know what? I, I, I'm in union with you. What, what shepherd doesn't have sheep? Like He's a sheep herder, a shepherd. The whole name itself in that title means that he is uniting himself with us. We get life by being united to him. And he blesses us and comes to us and loves us by uniting himself with us. And so you just get that reciprocal, you know, life that is eternal life as we are united to him, he's united to us, and then he, um, you know, is merciful and, and kind and and. and Provides and protects his sheep by giving the flock uh, under shepherds, right? Um, and, and this was spoken of through the prophets. Jeremiah 3, uh, God says, I'm going to give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. And when you have multiplied and been fruitful in the land, at that time, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord and all nations shall gather to it to the presence of the Lord in Jerusalem and they shall no more stubbornly follow their own evil heart. So this is God saying, this is, this is the church, this is what I'm going to gather and I'm going to give you shepherds after my own heart. And at least one result of, of this sort of good shepherding, you know, these under shepherds is that God's people will multiply. God's people will multiply, churches will multiply, and all nations are going to be gathered together before the good shepherd to celebrate his goodness eternally. And these good shepherds who are shepherds after God's own heart, they're going to lead. They're going to be people who are going to step up and they're going to lead. And they're not going to be afraid of what the culture thinks. They're not going to be afraid of their own places where they feel inadequate or whatever. Like, everybody feels inadequate. But they're going to lead because God's calling them to lead. Because God's saying, I'm I'm going to raise up shepherds after my own heart. They're going to lead and they're going to call people to stop following their own evil heart, to to stop jumping into ditches. Uh, And and that's going to be good for the sheep. And that's going to be good for for the world. It's going to be good for Waynesboro. It's going to be good for, you know, the U.S. and, and all nations. Now, <laughs> I sort of had a choice in, in my sermon prep uh, this week. I was like, okay, I could go with this Jeremiah 3 passage. I'm going to give you shepherds after my own heart and then tell you about how great, you know, all the shepherds are and how you should just follow them and obey them because that's what Hebrews 13 is saying. Submit to their authority. Or, I could ask, are you a good shepherd? Are you a good shepherd? Are you a shepherd after God's own heart? Let me, I'll, I'll explain why I'm asking that question here in a second. I have been, obviously, um, you know, it says on the back of the bulletin, Pastor... Essen Daly. I'm. I've been called to be a shepherd. I, I, the kids here call me Pastor Essen. That's cool. I've got this awesome ID card in my wallet from the, the Presbyterian Church in America. It says Reverend Essen Daly. Got the ID card. It's official. This is nice, right? So keep that handy. I'm a shepherd. I know I'm a shepherd. I try to be a good shepherd. But I'm also a sheep. <laughs> I'm not just a shepherd. In fact, I am principally a sheep. Being a shepherd is a secondary calling. My first calling is to be a sheep, and God help any pastor, any shepherd who doesn't keep that in line, doesn't keep that in order. I'm a sheep first, and I'm a shepherd second. But I am both. And where I'm going with that question about are you a good shepherd and are you a shepherd after God's own heart is that you are both also a sheep and a shepherd. Every single person here has some group that you lead. Every single person here has... Um, an influence, has, has a, a, a circle around you or near you and proximity to you who look to you and want to know what you think and what do you say and how are you going to act because they are trying to take their cues from you because you are their leader and you influence them. Are you a good shepherd? Are you a shepherd after God's own heart? First of all, do you even know you're a shepherd? Like, you can't be a good shepherd if you don't know that you are a leader in some way, shape, or form, right? Like, you can't be a good shepherd if you aren't willing to lead in some way. If you aren't willing to say, yeah, okay, I understand that God is calling me to influence my, my friends, my neighbors, the nations. Whatever your orbit is, there, there's people that God wants you to lead. And do you know who they are? You can't be a good shepherd if you haven't identified them. Maybe, maybe those people that you're leading, maybe your sheep are at work. Uh, maybe your sheep are little ones at home. Maybe your sheep are on the field, on the court, or on the stage. Maybe your sheep are online or in person. I don't know. You have influence. We, we all have people who are sort of watching us, learning from us, taking their cues from us. Are, are you leading them well? Are you a good shepherd? Do they see God's heart in your heart? Are you a shepherd after his own heart? Like a good shepherd knows that they're called to lead, a good shepherd knows who they are leading, and a good shepherd lays down his or her life for the sheep. We're not in this We're not exercising leadership as as an excuse to indulge our desires. Good shepherds are going to lead their sheep beside clear waters. They're going to make their sheep lie down in green pastures. They're going to seek their restoration, their blessing, their, their rest, right? The good shepherds are going to walk with their sheep even through the valley of the shadow of death. They're going to endure a hardship with their sheep. They're going to, they're going to sit down with their sheep uh, at the table uh, made and prepared in the presence of their enemies through, through pain and through conflict and through the puddle and the mud and the muck of, of life and its difficulties. That's what good shepherds are going to do. They're not going to run when it gets hard. And the people that you're leading, the people who are looking to you, we need to shepherd that way. A good shepherd follows the good, gooder, (laughs) the great shepherd, right? And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to show them what it looks like that I am following my good shepherd. Would you join me as we follow him together? This is what's so crazy, what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, that just, It never stops kind of astounding me and kind of catching me in my tracks where he says, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. And that's not some kind of power trip for Paul. That's him expressing the confidence that he has as a disciple, as a sheep, following his good shepherd, being able to say, hey, the good things you see in me, they're because of him. And I want you to know him, and I want you to follow him just like I am. And you know what? The, the inconsistent things that you see in me, see my repentance and imitate that. Like, like the whole package. We want people, and, and we, and we want to have the confident humility to be able to tell people, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. Follow me as I follow Jesus. Not just in my obedience. Hey, if I get it right, Great but follow me in my repentance too. Follow me in looking and leaning on the one who forgives our sins and renews us instead of like all the, all the other weird things that culture does with our sin. Hey, let me conclude with just that language of Jesus as the chief shepherd, not just the great shepherd or the good shepherd, but the chief shepherd. Uh, Wednesday night, we had our Ash Wednesday communion service and thanks to everybody that you, if you were fasting and praying and coming together Uh, We looked at 1 Peter 5, just a few verses there. Let me read these to you real quick. Peter says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, Not domineering those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Um, Wednesday night we were looking at that through the lens of, okay, these are what the under shepherds are supposed to be doing. And what does that tell us about what the chief shepherd does? It means that he shepherds his flock willingly, and eagerly, and not in a domineering way. And so that's what the under-shepherds are supposed to be doing. But but one thing that we were looking at was how it says that you're to to exercise oversight, and, and that's where we get the word episcopal from. It means to look intently. Look intently at the flock, because that's how Jesus looks at us. That's how he looks at the flock. He looks intently at all of us. And that's on the, on the one hand kind of comforting to know, wow, I, I, he, he never misses anything and, and he's always attentive to us. But in another sense, it's a little bit like, I don't know how I feel about that. You ever kind of look at, you're looking around and then you make eye contact with somebody and you're like, oh wait, <laughs> that's awkward. And you, and you look away because you're, you're not supposed to be looking at that person. Or you feel sort of ashamed, like I, I, don't, I don't know you and there's something that doesn't feel right. Do you ever wonder how Peter felt that night when, when Jesus looked intently at Peter in his greatest moment of failure? Jesus looked at Peter. We're told in John, I'm sorry, in Luke 22, uh, after Peter was being sort of like pressed by the people in the courtyard as Jesus had been arrested, and they're gathering around the fire, and they're cold, and there's. A lot of trying, like, hey, what's going on here? And and somebody says, hey, you're one of them. You sound like a Galilean. Are you sure you're not one of His, his followers? And Peter says, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. do you think Peter was able to hold that gaze? Do you think any of us will be able to hold his gaze? When when we go to glory and we see him face to face and he looks at us, are we going to hold his gaze or are we going to look at Wouldn't it be amazing to to live even now as men and women who can hold his gaze? Not because of any confidence we have in ourselves, but because of our confidence in him and the blood of the eternal covenant that he shed to bestow on us a crown of Glory. What does, it, what does it mean to wear a crown of glory? Who do, you, who do we put crowns on? We, we put crowns on people that we esteem. We put crowns on people that we laud. We put crowns on people that we accept. We put crowns on people that we celebrate. And the gospel tells us that because of Jesus, because of the blood of the eternal covenant, he places on us a crown of glory. Yesterday I was walking the dogs uh, in the morning. So I get up and I, I take them out. It's probably 6.30. The sun hasn't come up yet. And so we were done and the dogs were done and I'm sitting on the porch and it's just a beautiful sunrise. And you know, we had that little bit of snow uh, on the grass and stuff. And, and I'm looking over and um, and on the horizon, the clouds are on fire because of the orange sunrise. And I look over at this hilltop on the horizon, and it's uh, the very tip of that hill is just in this golden light. It's got a crown of gold. And it doesn't take long, but you know, just a minute or two before the sun keeps rising, and the whole hillside is just bathed in that golden light. And it's gorgeous. I don't know how much longer any of us have this side of heaven. But what I do know is that when we do go there, when we do stand before Him, when we do wear that crown of glory, we will be bathed in that beautiful light of His acceptance, of His blessing, of His. His accolade, well done, good and faithful servant. And it will feel like ah, it took no time at all. Let me conclude. You all know I'm a big C.S. Lewis fan. His essay, The Way to Glory, he says, I read in a periodical the other day that the fundamental thing is how we think of God. By God himself, it is not. how God thinks of us is not only more important, but infinitely more important. Indeed, how we think of him is of no importance except insofar as it is related to how he thinks of us. How does he think of you? Do you think of you with the blood of the eternal covenant? And Is that how you think of yourself? It is written that we shall stand before him, shall appear, shall be inspected, shall hold his gaze. The promise of glory or the crown of glory is the promise almost incredible and only possible by the work of Christ that some of us, that, that any of us who really chooses shall actually survive that examination shall find approval, shall please God. To please God, to be a real ingredient in the divine happiness, to be loved by God, not merely pitied, but delighted in as an artist delights in his work or a father in a child. It seems impossible. A weight or burden of glory which our thoughts can hardly sustain. But so it is. Let's pray. So it is, Lord. On the authority of your word, so it is. So it is. On the authority of the blood of the eternal covenant, so it is. We are real ingredients in the divine happiness. You are pleased to unite yourself with your sheep. You are pleased to Call us your sheep by virtue of uniting ourselves with Jesus, not because of anything we've done to impress you, but because of his life, his death, his resurrection, and the new life that we have through him. Lord, thank you for being our good shepherd, our great shepherd, our chief shepherd. And in response to you, as we follow you, would you find us faithful to call others to to follow you as, to follow us as we follow you and to, to imitate us as we imitate you and to, to be good shepherds in our own right as we receive this calling from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.